0: Thank you for joining our podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. Stay tuned, as together we'll study God's Word. Morning, everybody. I'm just going to hug Ken right now. Great job. I appreciate you. Hold you up. Ken's flight was delayed yesterday. He got on at 2 in the morning this morning. Thank you, bro, for being here. We love you. Can we just give it up for Ken? What a great prayer that was, more of Jesus. Grab your message notes, open your Bibles. They should be open to John chapter 3. And here we go. For my whole life, I've always intuitively thought that if one is good, two is better. Uh, If one dollar is good, two dollars are better. If one pair of running shoes are good for me, two pairs would be better. If one daughter's good, (laughs) five would be better. (laughs) If one is good, then two is better. But is it always? Uh, Last month, I was at the Cheesecake Factory for an interview. Has anyone seen that menu? It's like 75 pages working through. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but honestly, I, I had a hard time ordering that night because of the unbelievable choices before me. Now, if I go to an Italian restaurant, damn, lasagna, I'm in. If I go to a Mexican restaurant, I'm in. But the Cheesecake Factory, it's like, it's like all that and more put together. And I had a hard time ordering. We want to have it all. But what if more doesn't always equal gain? Who's driven up and down the El Camino Real lately? And all those apartments. And I'm going, oh my gosh, is this really better? And all the congestion. How about screen time? Does more screen time really add enrichment to our lives? Look at this picture I found on the internet. Look at this. You see what's going on there? A whale is breaching and the guy is missing it because his face (laughs) is in a screen. I'm wondering if more is better for that guy. Or I've been on dates with Ann and we've walked into a restaurant and I kid you not, there are families at a table, no one's talking to each other, everyone's faces is in a screen. Is more better there? Now if there's one thing the world needs more of and you're going to expect that I say this, it's Jesus. But the only way the world sees Jesus is if there's more of Jesus in us influencing others. And to get more of Jesus in our lives means there has to be less of something else. We are finite. And more of Jesus means less of something else. And that leads to our theme verse for the next 40 days, John 3.30. It's in the message notes. It's here on the screen. Let's say it together, okay? He must increase. I must decrease. Turn to somebody and say that to them right now. He must increase, I must decrease. It's awesome. Now, did you know that's a, that's a conditional statement? There's a condition there. That, that isn't an all-encompassing promise for everybody. In other words, here's a more accurate translation of that. For Jesus to increase, you have to decrease. I, I like kind of the new Gary version. If I were to rewrite the Bible, God forbid... I would put it this way: I want Jesus to increase, but wait a second. I want to increase too. I want Jesus to increase, and I want my bank account to increase. I want my influence to increase. I want my reputation to increase. John the uh, the Baptist didn't mean that. That's not what the passage means. He must increase. I must decrease. What if we really were finite? And what if we only had so much capacity for Christ in us to occupy the same finite body? Friends, this is a tension we're going to live with our whole lives as followers of Jesus. And given these realities, here's an honest question. Honestly, honestly. How much of Jesus do you want in your life? How much of Jesus do you want to occupy your relationships? How much of Jesus do you want to occupy your time? I'm not judging, I'm just asking. Is an hour a week enough for Jesus? How much of Jesus do you want to occupy your finances? He must increase, we must decrease. We live in a finite world. And the only way for the first part of that passage to be true is if the second part is true. And we will always live in tension with that. Early on, right after college, I, I was, read this poem. I've never f- forgotten it. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of God to make me love the other, or serve the poor. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Is $3 enough? Will that transform the world? Will that change the systemic brokenness that's in our communities, in our country, in the world? Our focus as a community for the next several weeks, a period since the fourth century, the church is called Lent, will be on this very thing. How do we decrease so that we can be in awe of Jesus? Not just on a day called Easter, but on every day that we live our lives. What would it look like to unclutter our hearts from the stuff That weighs us down and blocks our view of Jesus. And more importantly, maybe, blocks others' view of Jesus in us. All that turns to John 3. Let's walk into the story. And I want to answer this question. Why should you join us on this 40 days of decrease journey? This is so un-American. 40 days of decrease. Why would you join us on that? Let's pick it up in verse 22. We're going to meet two main characters. One, his name is Jesus. Ever heard of him? His ministry is just a few months old. you got to know this. He's got just a few followers. He's at the start. Barely anyone knows about Jesus at this point. Almost at the start of his ministry. The second character is John the Baptist. That's Jesus' cousin. He's just a few months older than Jesus. He's a forerunner to Jesus' ministry, and John's ministry at this point is huge. John is trending on Twitter. While comparatively, Jesus' ministry is really small. No one knows about Jesus, okay? Very important fact as we enter into the story. You ready? Bible's open? Here we go. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Circle that word. We'll talk about it in a minute. Now, John was also, here it is again, baptizing near uh, Anon and near Salim. Because there was plenty of water and the people were coming, third time, being baptized. The word baptized means to plunge or to immerse in first century uh, literature outside the Bible. The Greeks, when they talk about a ship sinking, they would say it was baptized. Um, Followers, philosophers, rabbis, uh, Aristotle, when people want to follow him, uh, they would be baptized and identify as a follower of Aristotle. Uh, In the Old Testament, we have baptisms. We see John baptizing to identify with his ministry of repentance, turning and preparing for the Messiah. And suddenly Jesus shows up on the scene and he's baptizing, or his followers are. Uh, What we know in the Christian church traditionally is baptism means to identify as a follower of. It's saying, I am no longer the owner of my life. I am under new ownership I am following Jesus, okay? That's what's going on. Baptisms, same vicinity. John's followers are looking, going, why is that guy baptized? We- We're losing people here. Okay, that's what's going on. This is before John was put in prison. Verse 25, an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over a matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified, look, he's baptizing And this is what it seems. Everyone's going over to him. The equivalent of this would be like a church plant happening in Revit City. And they had traditional music. Um, And all of a sudden, our service got smaller and smaller. But the church plant was growing and growing. And you would write me an email and go, we have a problem. A church plant has started. They love Jesus. They're reaching people. And we're losing people. I want you to get into the mind of John's followers, okay? Are you there? Do you understand what's going on? Okay. By the way, that would be a win. Our, uh, our competition is not any church that honors Jesus. Uh, it's not our competition. We're coming together like never before in this peninsula as a church. It's really beautiful. Our competition, are spiritual forces in the heavenly realms that blind the eyes and minds of lost people and create a lot of the pain in our culture. Amen. Amen. Great. Cheer for churches. You drive by churches, pray for churches. I was texted this weekend by five different pastors saying, Give him Jesus today. I'm praying for you today. We just have this thing where we're just we got each other's backs. It is beautiful. It's beautiful. To this John replied, This is really important, everybody. A person can only receive what's given to them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah. I was sent ahead of him. Then he goes wedding on them. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend attends the bridegroom, waits and listens for him. And he's full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine. And it's now complete. How many of you have ever been a groomsman or a bridesmaid in a wedding? Raise your hand. Groomsman, bridesmaid. Okay, bridesmaids. Let's talk about you, women. How many of you, whenever uh, you've been a bridesmaid, I mean, I get the best place in the house for a wedding, still remember your daughter's wedding, Peter, and being able to stand right here. And the bridesmaids came and they stood up here. And all of a sudden, Peter uh, and his his daughter, Jennifer, walked. I could see him walking, came in the door. Jana stood up. Everyone turned to them. And here's what the bridesmaids didn't do standing here. What are you all looking at? No one stood when I walked down the aisle. They didn't make it about them. They knew their part in the ceremony was to make the bride great. How many of you have been groomsmen in a wedding? How many of you ever, when the pastor said you may now kiss the bride, pulled the groom away and puckered up? <laughs> oh, you did that, David. It's not about... <laughs> here's, what, here's what happened in my wedding, true story. Okay, because it's not about the groomsmen. It's about the bride and groom. My wedding, my brother officiated, he asked for the ring, my best man who's a jokester, it's always been about my, he's still my best friend, it's always been about Rob. This will go on a podcast, Rob will listen to it. Yes, it's always been about you, Rob. He asked for the ring, Rob does this. And then he turns, and I had like eight groomsmen, they all go down the aisle My other college roommate, who was bitter that he wasn't one of my groomsmen, is about 10 rows back. He played college baseball. He stands up, he goes, I got the ring, and just whips the ring in a box. (laughs) Rob catches it and hands me the ring. (laughs) Completely stole the show. He thought that'd be funny. My wife didn't think that was funny. (laughs) John is saying, I'm just a groomsman in this whole thing. My whole job is to introduce the bride to the groom. By the way, that's our job too. To introduce people to Christ. He's saying, I know my role. You ready for this? This isn't about me. This is about Jesus. And he's here. And you have no idea how much joy I have to have fulfilled the small role I play in this eternal narrative on this planet. That's what John's saying right there. And by the way, it's no different for you and me. Yeah, we don't play a prophetic role that John the Baptist is a forerunner of Jesus. He's prophesied in the book of Malachi and then he shows up and I know we don't play that role. But our role in 2019 is to pray Ask Jesus to meet people through us. So important, my friends. John's declaring a secret to significant living. It's not about me, he's saying. And then our verse, verse 30, he must become greater, I must become less. You know what we call this? Humility. You know what humility means? Literally, it means to know your place. That's humility, to know your place. In this story, as we see right here, both John and Jesus are being humble. Is it weird for you to think of Jesus as humble? Uh, No, I I hope not. Because he knew his place. Jesus is God. John is his servant. Being humble requires and accepting your place, my place, in relationship to Jesus. We're not the Messiah. Jesus is. And for him to become greater, we have to have a place and become less. Now, God doesn't, and John didn't say that because he diminished himself. He wasn't a sadist who hated life. We see in this passage, he had a ton of joy. He said John 3:30 because he knew it's the only way to live. It is the most freeing, adventuresome, eternally significant way to live. Jesus becomes greater. I become less. Now, I know the church has messed us up in so many ways, and if uh, you don't know Christ or have a relationship with Christ, I'm so glad you're here. Please stick with me. I want to build out for the last part of our message, the cost-benefit analysis of that statement. And then I'm going to invite us all, my goal, I'm going to play my cards, that you join me on this 40-day journey of decrease. And I'll tell you what that means in a minute. So why would you do this? What would the result be? What are we praying for in 40 days? Look at page two in your notes. Here we go, playing our cards right here. Love that, no secrets at PCC. Here's the first, you will live a life, if Jesus becomes greater and you become less, it will mean less entitlement and more contentment. Less entitlement, more contentment. I wanna think of your own life and your circle of relationships where this matters, but I also want you to think of our culture. Do you think our culture would benefit from citizens who were less entitled and more content? I think so too. Let's start a revolution with us, okay? Tell Jesus always intended it to be. Look what he said in verse 27. To this John replied, a person, here's the key word, can receive only what's given to them from heaven. In other words, John's saying, I didn't make this up. We didn't have these crowds. We didn't trend on Twitter because I was so good. God gave that to me for a time. I'm not the owner here. I'm just the manager. Isn't it refreshing when you come across people who are unentitled? This is John's posture with Jesus. He knew everything he was given, he didn't earn. My question is this. You ready? Do we? Are we still in the delusion that we're all that? So uh, I'm not going to out any of my daughters because I love them all. But one of my daughters, uh, when she was 10, we were at Sequoia Station, and she found $20 outside of Safeway. $20 bill as a 10-year-old. And that's like a million dollars to a 10-year-old. As we're walking through Sequoia Station, there was someone who had no home, who had a cardboard sign. You know what my daughter did? She gave that person all of the money she found. She was 100% tither. Everything went, that came to her went out to that person. Why? Because in her 10-year-old mind, she understood, my parents provide everything for me. I'm just gonna give this away. Her compassion and childlike faith kicked in. Now, fast forward seven years, and she's now saving for a a huge trip that her high school was taking. And so uh, her mom and I give her the idea, hey, we'll put out an email to our friends and you can babysit and you can save that money. And so we did and she got a $100 babysitting job. She comes home ecstatic. $100, $100 to a 17-year-old back then, even now. $100 to me, that's a lot of money, okay? I'm like, oh, that's so sweet. I'm like, okay, honey, uh, the first 10% we give to Jesus. What? See, in in seven years, we went from 100% tithing (laughs) to 100% keeping. What? And this is what came out. I know none of us have ever said this. I've earned this. I worked for this. You want me to give 10% of away? And I said, wait a second, hold on. And then this wasn't a shaming conversation. I'm like, let's just go through this. Whose car did you drive to go to babysit? And who paid for the gas in the car? And who leveraged their relationships to get you the job? And who's fed you for 17 years so that you can be at a place where you have the energy to go get a job? And who's, you know, he went down. She finally goes, okay, okay, I get it. See, I can be delusional to think, well, gosh, I am who I am. I've earned what I've earned. I have the influence that I have because I'm all that. And God says, and John the Baptist says, no, that's actually entitlement thinking. We are a day away from a stroke. We hear this every week here around PCC, a heart attack, getting hit by a car. These are things I've dealt with all last week. And being knocked out. The only reason we have breath, Colossians says, is because Jesus is holding us together. And when we have less of us and more of Jesus, you know what that produces? Contentment. You know why I hug Ken? Because I love that man and I am learning to live where we have no guarantees of tomorrow. And I want in the moment for him to know I'm so grateful for you and capture the moment. That doesn't come from clutter in my life. That comes from decluttering my life. And I'm not the poster child of this. Jesus modeled this in Philippians 2, by the way. Look in your notes here. It says, in your relationships with one another. Now, now this would cure. I'm not a counselor. Like, honestly, I don't do the therapy on this campus because you come to me, I'm just going to make you feel worse, okay? I'm not, I'm not that good. That's why we have other staff. But um, this is key. Like, this would cure any relational issue. Any character issue, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. This is why I say the culture needs more of Jesus. If we exhibited this mindset more, oh my goodness, look at this. Who, being in va- very nature God, now look for entitlement anywhere here. He was God, but there was a plan, so he didn't consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of Of a sermon, literally putting on flesh in the appearance of humanity, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. Here's that word again thinking of yourself accurately. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. If we want to be Christ like, we're going to be unentitled. We're going to quit saying, I've earned this. Every day is going to be a gift. Everything we have is going to be God's. I know that sounds grandiose. Uh, And maybe, maybe, I'm just thinking here, maybe it sounds grandiose because he hasn't become greater. We're becoming greater. And it's hard for us to let go of those things we hold on to. Like my daughter holding on to her $100 bill, going, you want me to give $10 away? What else will it produce is this. Look, less savior complex and more significance Uh, Ann and I were praying we pray most every night for our daughters and she said something uh, at a prayer time uh, just a year ago when she said it was so good because I tend to worry and uh, she said you know Gary we can't contend for the lives of our girls that's God's job we in prayer just delay them before the Lord and let him be their savior not us This is what this means. Look what verse 28 says. You yourselves can testify. John said, I am not the Messiah. Turn to someone right now and say that to them. I'm not the Messiah. You can say it to me. Isn't that freeing? Isn't that liberating? We have a Savior. He is on the throne. Last time I checked, I know there's a lot of mess in the world, but we know how the story ends, right? Uh, And God's got this. That is so freeing. He's saying, I'm not the Messiah. John knew his role was to introduce people to Jesus. You know what John was like? He was like um, the donkey in the triumphal entry. He knew the cheering wasn't for him. He knew what people were cheering for. And he had, if I can say this, a bit role, but it's significant that we get a role at all for Jesus. I love this church because it is filled with donkeys. (laughs) I brag on you all the time. I was at the men's conference this weekend at Mission Springs, 400 guys. And I was looking at every other church going, man, uh, I won't tell you what I really said, but it stinks to be you because you don't get to be with the people I get to be with. There's a guy in this congregation. I don't see him here this morning. His name's Larry Trice. And when I was first a youth pastor, Larry's that fix it guy. He's like the MacGyver. Larry, are you here? Oh, there he is. Hey, there. Going to Mexico with you, I mean, you were the best donkey on the trip. <laughs> and there are adults now, because I was 22 years ago, whose faith was formed as a teenager because Larry. Built with them and gave them a wrench and gave them a hammer and gave them an axe and said, You do it. Gave them a saw. Um, there's a village right now being fed because Larry, with these kids, built a kitchen. And the pastor, we're a real rural village. The pastor said, uh, I said, Hey, how do we reach the village? He said, Let's build a kitchen. I'll never forget this. And he said, um, Remember the kitchen we built, Larry? And he said, um, I'm like, A kitchen? And he said, Oh, these people are starving to death. And before Jesus enters their heart, food needs to be put in their stomach. And because of Larry and some kids, the last night we were, we were late on the project. Larry didn't go back to Tent City. He stayed out. Do you remember this? He stayed out in the village with some kids and through the night built that, that kitchen. He's a donkey. And so are you. It's a pleasure to be a donkey for Jesus. Jesus. And that's what John's saying. I have a bit role in this. Look what Jesus assessment. Do you know Jesus only gave one eulogy in the New Testament? He only gave one eulogy. And here it is, Matthew 11, 11. It's in your notes. You can win a Bible trivia with this verse. Jesus said, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there is not risen anyone greater, think about that, than John the Baptist. Stop right there. He's saying he is the greatest human being whoever lived. But then he doesn't stop there. He says, yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven, in the Greek, you know what that says? Yet, even Larry Trice, that's the Greek right there, is greater than he because they take the position of a servant. That's significant, my friend. A thousand years from now, I don't think our fame, our Twitter followers, our social media posts will matter a thousand years from now but our realm of significance, will be grateful that Jesus become greater and influence people through us, amen? Quickly, less clutter produces more joy. We kind of hit on this, but verse 29, the bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him, and he's full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it's now complete don't you agree? I think we need a little bit more joy. I'm not even thinking the world. I think we need some joy here in the church. What do we have to be down about? If eternity is real, if heaven is real, if that's been secured and I'm not belittling the pain in the room, I pray for you and your cards every week. I know what's going on uh, somewhat, what you revealed to me. But this is not all there is. And Jesus promised, look what he said in John 15, I have told you this so that my joy, now think about that. Jesus' joy may be in us and that our joy may be complete. I think we don't have joy because we have so much clutter. Like that guy with his face in the screen when a whale is breaching right in front of him. We miss it because the shiny things in our lives, we think there's life in that. Jesus promised there's not. So let me ask you, if in 40 days, is there anyone here who could use more contentment, whose realm of biblical spiritual significance could be greater, who could use more joy? I want to invite you to come on this journey with us as we experience 40 days of decrease. And here's what it means. I have a minute left, so track with me. On page three, look at the resources on page three. There's a daily breath prayer, and, and I've been praying this over the weekend since this came to me through Pastor Brian Wren. Inhaling, John 3.30. Inhaling, exhaling. Inhaling, you must become greater. Exhaling, I must become less. You must increase. I must decrease. It's a simple way that's been practiced throughout uh, millennia, really. The churches always used daily breath prayers. We invite you to do that. These books that we're going to go through our daily guide are going to be for sale back there uh, by Dr. Alicia Brick Cole. Amazing book. Every day, you will have a devotional in it every day and it will lead you into a daily fast where you give something up. Now, we're not giving up designer chocolate or Starbucks coffee. Actually, Starbucks coffee, we should all give that up. It's terrible coffee. But um, what we're doing here is giving up things like this. Judgmentalism for the day purchasing for a day, anger for a day, we're going to fast things that would actually make a better community. And then Ash Wednesday, this Wednesday, what the church is called Ash Wednesday, we're having a service of lament. And that's a new word for us around here. But we're going to gather together as a body, and it's, our staff has been working on this, please don't miss this, 7 o'clock Wednesday night, where we lament the pain and brokenness in our culture. And as followers of Christ, we confess on behalf of our culture the brokenness around race, around sexism, around other systems of injustice. And then we lament the pain in our community. We're gonna look at our seven values and confess to God, we fall so short of this. We are so sorry. And then we're gonna lament personal brokenness. You're gonna have the opportunity to come and receive an ash on your head as a reminder that we are but dust if it were not for the, the work of God in our lives. Please don't miss Wednesday night. Then, this is really important, and Peter will guide you through this. Every day, if you sign up for this, if you, you can do it on paper or you can go on, Peter will show you on your uh, smartphone. We'll push out a daily text. Our staff have put together daily video devotionals for 90 seconds every day for the next 40 days. We're right in your inbox comes a devotional aligned with the book to encourage you and spur you on. I don't know about you, but uh, I've never been more, ex- I mean this, really excited to look more like Jesus. And I know there's a cost to that. I need to decrease. I can't do it alone. Join me in this. Father, thank you so much for this word. Thank you for John the Baptist. Thank you for enabling us to see the greatest person who ever lived. Wow. Wow. And now let's pray this daily breath prayer together. I'll pray it over you. Breathe in, Jesus, increase. Breathe out, let me decrease. Jesus, increase. Let me decrease. Father, I love you and I love the saints in this room who have, many of them, faithfully walked with you for decades. May we learn and not just be hearers today. We need your grace in these next 40 days. This is not another program. This is posturing ourselves before you so that you can move in us. Pray for that in Jesus' name. Everyone said. Thank you for tuning in to our message podcast here at Peninsula Covenant Church. We would love the opportunity to connect with you more. We are located in Redwood City, California, and you can find us online at wearepcc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by simply searching for We Are PCC.